I'm Christine Dolan, and I'm a journalist, and I know a lot of people know Mike Lindell because of some of the issues having to do with elections, but I know him in a different way. Last year, in the middle of the 2020 election, my back was killing me because I'm teleworking. So a friend of mine sent me a pillow that Mike Lindell manufactured, and it helped me to sit on a chair doing interviews, too many interviews during the day because we're all working off-site. And then this year, because we're working off-site and we, we all want to be comfortable, I tried Mike Lindell's slippers. Now, I'm a big one on slippers because I like comfort. I have worn moccasin slippers all my life. And when I tried Mike Lindell's slippers, I couldn't believe this because it really does have four layers of cushions. It's like having very loose tennis shoes on. And it's easy because you really do wear them all night long if you're working like me from the early hours of the morning to the late hours at night. So I highly recommend Mike Lindell's slippers and his pillows if you've got a back problem and you're sitting down. Now, how you get the discount for this is very simple. It's on our site. CDM is the promo code for it. Promo code CDM is what we're asking you to do. Again, you will feel comfortable for your back with those little pillows that he has and also for the slippers that you can get from him. And now let's get to our guests. Okay, so today in American Conversations, we have Bob McConnell with us. Uh, he and his wife, Nadia, started the uh, U.S.-Ukraine Foundation for Humanitarian Aid back in 1990, or was it the late 1980s, Bob? Correct me. 1990, and uh, really the, the purpose, the mission of, of the foundation was and is to um, strengthen U.S.-Ukraine relations and uh, to promote democracy and democratic institutions in Ukraine. We've conducted a lot of programs on that, but of course now we're focused on what's going on. So tell us what you're, what you're learning from, from all the phone calls that you're on right now with, with everything that's going on in Ukraine. I just read that in the second talks uh, between Ukrainians and Russians that they have come to an agreement in the second uh, meeting, and it is to open up humanitarian um, corridors. Very dangerous. Very dangerous. Tell um, us why. Well, it is in... It, several ways. Uh, it's a trap. Uh, it, there may be some good that comes out of it, but once you start uh, taking um, people out of a city that's surrounded and so forth, uh, past wars, recent wars in Europe, uh, you then destroy the city. Uh, you destroy what's been left. Uh, if the people don't leave, then Putin has the has the chance to say, look, I'm not a war criminal. I provided these people an opportunity to leave and they didn't leave. Uh, there's there's a lot to be considered in how to go forward with that. And that was discussed. Uh, I was on a conversation with uh, General Wes Clark, um, uh, Dr. Phil Carver, and several uh, of the resistance leaders in Ukraine a little earlier this afternoon. And uh, I'm not an expert on this, but Wes Clark is, and and he uh, described in some detail how they would have to try and handle that. If they're going to agree to that, uh, there are certain things they have to do, and I didn't understand them all, uh, but there's going to be further conversations because the last thing 
uh, you want to do is to give uh, Putin some relief by something he's doing uh, very cynically. So basically, they don't want to get explain that a little bit. I mean, they, in other words, they don't trust any corridor for humanitarian aid that the Russians decide is OK with them. Uh, trust and verify would be one way of saying it. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, first of all, I mean, the Ukrainians, um, they don't trust, they, the Russian people are one thing. They don't trust, quote unquote, the center or the Kremlin at all. Uh, they haven't trusted that since Soviet days. And uh, Putin has done everything to convince them their lack of trust is still valid, very valid. Uh, so, you know, an agreement with the Russians is... I mean, I, it's hard to count it on it being anything. It's only what they want it to be for as long as they want it to be. Uh, so, you know, I'm very suspicious and very cynical. And that cynicism and uh, how to approach uh, that offer was conveyed in no uncertain terms by Wes Clark uh, to some of the leaders of the, uh, of the resistance. They've got to be careful on what they do uh and how they react to it let's talk about how much how much aid are you organizing how much aid has been promised uh and uh have you been successful in getting any aid in to date in the last eight days uh the foundation no uh we have started we've been i mean one of the things that, there are a lot of organizations a lot of very legitimate organizations that have that are working on aid, different types of aid and so forth. Unfortunately, in this world that we live in, there are a lot of people that pop up that abuse that, whatever donations they get. And even people that are, are, are legitimate and so forth, a trick is to make sure that if you get whatever aid it is you're giving to Poland, say, that it can then get to where it needs to go in Ukraine. So our efforts have been really focused, very, very laser focused on making sure that what we have and begin with is going to be received by who we want it received to and that they can get it where they can get it, where it's intended. Now, we have a plan, our first plane of, of medical supplies. Uh, I may be an hour behind, so I'm, it may have lifted off, but it was being loaded uh, yesterday and today. And we have, we know who's going to be at the landing field. We know what trucks are there and our people in Kiev and between Poland and Kiev uh, know where they're taking it and where it's to go. Uh, you know, this is all, I mean, I, there are some great organizations, um, um, Save Ukraine, or you know, there are several. I mean, they've raised millions in these last few days. And they're solid organizations, and we wish wish them well, and they're doing well. We are trying to. We, I mean, we're very small. When we had a huge, when we had huge programs across U, Ukraine, we had as many as sixty employees. We've got four, um, and and intern volunteers who are fantastic. But uh, we have been contacted by several groups that want to use us as as the conduit to get things there the american hospital association uh nadia's downstairs working with them right now they're soliciting supplies of getting them to us 
she's working on free air airlines uh, airplanes uh the contact she's made and the planes she's lining up uh amazing i mean i if i'm if i was down there i'd just be sitting on all of what she's doing i'm working more the government relations end of things but uh it's it's critical to get things there and then to where it needs to be uh, so there's a number of organizations doing it we we provide something that uh, many many people were looking for in their donations uh, of dollars and goods and that is where 501c3 so uh, a number of organizations want to use work with us give it through us knowing that now in talking into dnr people that we're going to get it where it needs to go so. so Todd has just returned from uh, Ukraine. He was in Kiev and you mentioned Kiev. What are you hearing? And, and Todd, compare it to what you heard because you just recently came, returned here to the States. What are you hearing, Bob, when you're talking to people on the ground in Kiev in terms of the need, the, the fear, the resilience that they have, the hospitals that have been bombed, you know, the, the women who were getting blood transfusions have now been in the, I guess, the bunkers. You know, there's a pregnancy ward that's been, in, in, you know, in the basement. So, I, I you know, it, it looks like it's a disaster. Well, pictures. I, Todd, you were in Kiev. I mean, when I first was in Ukraine in early 1990 and I went down into the uh, subways, Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, here in Washington, there are a few subways that are down. You take an escalator quite a ways. Nothing compared to the ones that were designed in, in Kiev right. to serve as both bomb shelters and, and subway places. And so now those subway places are reverting to their bomb shelter, shelter uh, uh, lives. Uh, you know, babies being born down there right. uh, and so forth. Uh, obviously, they're living in fear. Um, at the same time, the people above ground are living in fear, but they're a determined bunch. I, you know, I'm, I'm digressing for a minute, but I want to make this point. We, the United States, totally misjudged the people of Ukraine. And, and I can go on about why we were so slow, too little, too late in our aid and so forth. But part of it was we sit back here fat, sassy, you know, complacent. We haven't. We haven't lived under oppression for a very long, long time. None of us have ever even experienced it in this country. But the people of Ukraine do remember not only 1989, but all the way back to the Holdemore and all the rest. They know what it's like living under oppression and what it did to either them or their ancestors. And they've had freedom for 30 years. They're not about ready to give it up. They're committed. They're determined. We're seeing people fighting for freedom in a way that we couldn't imagine until we saw it. And that's happening in Kiev and it's happening all across Ukraine. You know, one of the comments I heard from Kiev today was, well, one thing that's different, when Yanukovych was here, we feared the police because they were, they were trying to keep us from doing what we wanted on the Maidan. But the police, are now training us and helping us and finding ways to get us arms so that we can fight. Um, I think I mentioned uh, to you, Christine, earlier that we know of 13 British expats. Uh, one has worked for the foundation. Uh, are you leaving and getting back to Britain? No, 
they've armed themselves and they're joining the street fights in Kiev. Uh, you know, it's it's horrific to watch the fighting. But but the Ukrainians are are fun to watch in other ways. The the babushka going up to give the woman sunflower seeds. Put these in your pocket. The guy's armed. Let, she says, don't don't escalate. Well, I'm not escalating. You're the ones that came here. Put these seeds in your pocket so when you die and you go on the ground, you'll some flowers will come over your grave. You know, the farmer stealing the, the uh, armored personnel carrier, the guy going up to the tank that ran out of gas and knocking on the thing. Are you Russian? I'm, well, I'll get my truck and tow you back to Russia. I mean, they're finding a way to be real people in the middle of all this. And uh, I'm not going to count them out. I mean, they've got a lot. Uh, they've got a steep hill, but I'm not going to count them out. The people I hear from and the people that others hear from that report to us, um, they're fighting. They're, they're, they want their freedom and they want their sovereignty. Zelensky's impressive. Well, I hesitate to say this now. But he was struggling to be a decent president, given what he promised as a candidate about mm -hmm. cleaning up things and so forth. But boy, has he risen to the occasion under this assault. Uh, I, I have a couple of uh, young, young people who were talking to me uh, here in the house yesterday or the day before, and they were showing me things on, on the social media Apparently, young American women have fallen in love with Zelensky. He's a rock star. Asking questions, is he married? You know, does he ever come here? So on. Uh, but he has risen to the occasion. And the comparison of, of Putin sitting at the, uh, worried about a, a sinus bug or something, sitting at the end of a 30-foot table uh, away from people, and, and Zelensky sitting at the table having a meal with his soldiers who are fighting. That says about everything you need to know, I think, about what what he is as a leader and what Putin is as a leader. Um, he's doing a good job. So what do you what do you hear that they need? And, and uh, uh, Todd, if you can jump in here, too, from from what you saw before you got out and, and Bob, what you're hearing now from the people. Todd, I've got some like construction stuff going on upstairs. So if I have to hit the mic mute, that's fine. But I, I'm curious as to what you think the right solution is for Ukraine um, in, in all of this. And I, I just want to hear your opinion. Mine's probably one that uh, would be considered a little out there. Mm -hmm. uh, my view, and it's been my view, and it's been our Friends of Ukraine Network's view. Uh, I probably should explain what that is. The foundation we created a Friends of Ukraine Network 10 or 12 years ago. That's former U.S. ambassadors to Ukraine. It's two former Supreme Allied Commanders of Europe. It's a former Army Commander, U.S. Army Commander of Europe. Uh, energy experts, so civil society experts, and so forth. And we they're in universities, they're in think tanks, they're all over. Uh, but we bring them together under the umbrella of Friends of Ukraine Network. And since 2014, we have annually developed and presented to our government recommendations for USA to Ukraine. Uh, we don't just present them. I mean, then we go to the Hill, we go to the White House, we go and we argue why we're advocating. And these aren't recommendations like increased funding from 250 to 300 million. These are 
specific weapon systems, specific uh, broadcast solutions, specific this, specific that. And um, I gave that as background because we've been giving in the last three years, anticipating what is happening now, we've been giving very, very specific uh, recommendations and indeed even emergency recommendations last December. Uh, sadly, uh, some of what we've recommended has been adopted. I mean, uh, I remember somebody in the Pentagon telling me the first time I was badgered about giving Ukraine javelins was you guys. Um, but we advocate, we explain and so forth. And right now under this situation, we have got to get more javelins. We've got to get more stingers. We've got to, and we have to get in as many small arms, uh, things, guerrilla warfare implements. We need to get there because whether it's going to be a couple of cities or a, a half of Ukraine or God forbid all of Ukraine, there is going to be an occupation uh, at some point point and for some period of time uh, by Russian forces. And we have to make that occupation untenable for the Russians. The Ukrainians want to make sure that they resist and can resist. We need to make sure they have what they need to resist. I do note that one of the things we've advocated for four years is giving the Ukrainians uh, shore batteries, uh, surface to ship artillery and missiles and so forth for along the coast of the Black Sea. Our government has never done that, refused to do that. Uh, it could be used, it could have been used this week um, and it should be there. But Todd, I'd, um, like, you, go ahead, you, go I'd like to know what you saw and think. Uh, well, I've spent a lot of time in Ukraine over the last decade. I love the people, fantastic. Uh, they treated me always very well. I, I do have a concern with um, a lot of the corruption in Ukraine. I think that has to be dealt with for a final solution. Um, you've got Kerry, Pelosi, Biden, I think uh, uh, Mitt Romney. It's no, it's no surprise that all four of them have sons siphoning off money of gas companies in Ukraine. So um, my problem is that I think there's been state capture by a lot of the uh, networks of organized crime in the West, in Ukraine, and that has to be removed along with Russian troops before they can have any kind of future. So I'll hit my mute button and let you respond to that. <laughs> Todd, I absolutely agree with you. And and we have pushed all along that, uh, you know, we've, we've seen now multiple presidents elected in Ukraine on the campaign of being reformers. Uh, they haven't reformed. I mean, there. if you look at the, over the long haul, there have been reforms made, but the really serious things that go to the core of it just haven't been addressed. And Zelensky is, is guilty of all that. Um, but now we're in a war. It's, it's, it's kind of like you, you rally behind your war president. But if Ukraine gets through this, and I'm hoping, and I down deep, I believe they will, there's going to need to be a major reconstruction effort. And that reconstruction effort will have to be with conditions, serious supervised conditions that root out 
the fundamental problem that the the people of Ukraine, the civil society has been demanding be taken care of since independence began. Uh, my wife has a, uh, a saying, you know, there was a reason Moses was in the desert for 40 years. He had to let the people that lived under the conditions in Egypt die out so that he'd have fresh minds and outlooks to create a country. Uh, in some in some ways, that's very much part of what's going on in Ukraine. I mean, Todd, I'm sure you've met the young people. We've had we've met them there. We've had them here. And when you when you talk to the young people who have been in the West and started seeing the differences in the West, and they've gone home, that's they want that for their country, and we've got to make sure we support them in achieving that. Um, yes, it's a free country. It, I mean, it should be. Hopefully it will be a free country and they have to make their choices. But uh, we, if they want our help, we need to be helping the ones that want to reform and make uh, Ukraine stand up uh, as, a, as a truly sovereign and, and uh, Western country. I was called up to a, a hearing in 1992, I think, by Senator Bradley. I, four times I told his staff I didn't want to testify. It was about economics in Ukraine. I don't know anything about economics, uh, but he insisted, so I went. They had Undersecretary of International Economics. They had Jeffrey Sachs from Harvard and me, and they both went on about how Ukraine is now free. It's got the educated population. It's got this. It's got that. It's going to blossom onto the international stage as a major economic power. Bradley turned to me and said, what do you think? I said, well, I said, uh, the C in communism stands for more than communism. It stands for systemic corruption. It's going to take decades for Ukraine to clear out the corruption so it can be what they're they're talking about. The potential is there, but they can't get there with the with the corruption that's going to that is a legacy of the Soviet Union, and they're still dealing with it. Bob, let me ask you something because let, let me say something real quick. My my concern is that this administration is involved in that corruption. So I don't see how you can you can get that objective done in this environment. I mean, the only person who armed the Ukrainians was Trump. The only person who killed hundreds of Russians in Syria with air power, American air power, was Trump. So I think you need some kind of change in order to get to a point where you can have a chance for Ukraine to be free. So, I, you know, there are impediments, obviously, but uh, I do think that, uh, I mean, I, I'm, I, I deal with them, so I'm not going to go into depth about the particular members of Congress and so forth, but we also have a bureaucracy. I'm not saying that in a disparaging way. We have government officials, presidential appointees, you know, political appointees, and careerists that uh, know Ukraine, uh, are committed to Ukrainian sovereignty, uh, and, you know, they're the ones that run the programs once, the, once they're authorized. And uh, I have faith, and I could name some really extraordinary people in the Department of State uh, that turn them loose and uh, let them do their jobs. We could have some really good reconstruction and anti-corruption efforts going on. Um, Bob, let me let me ask you this, um, because I've I've covered human trafficking uh, in a, for the last 22 years in about 140 countries, and um, 
I've met a lot of Ukraine women who have left Ukraine, Ukraine and, and gotten caught up in trafficking. Many of them were in the Balkans um, and then also within the country itself. And so one thing that I've observed when I've traveled the world is the influence of where I find sorrows in corrupt states and the hypocrisy of saying that they believe in democracy and then making efforts that actually are the reverse. And I have a problem with what's going on in Ukraine in terms of the influence of the, of the Soros camp for a long period of time. And, I, and I've actually observed people saying that they want to stop the corruption when in fact it's really a break or it's a, it's a public statement, but it, the, the actions don't match the words. Have you run into that, you know, yeah. humanitarian work you've done? Yeah, I mean, we've seen it. Well, I mean, we saw it very early on, uh, very early on, because uh, as I told you earlier, uh, our little foundation was the first American presence to open up and get started in Ukraine. But Soros was in there shortly thereafter. Uh, the money that they proje projected in there, a lot of it was done, used by the people that were running the office for very good purposes. Uh, but there was a dark side and mm -hmm. uh, uh you know it's it's very hard it's very hard to listen to some of our officials go over not during this war but previously go over and you know you've got to clean up your corruption well you know some of the officials saying it were you know the headlines here were about their corruption mm -hmm. uh the uh the the way i have dealt with that in when i've been called on it in ukraine is Yes, we have corruption. Um, we also have a lot of politicians, uh, public corruption. We have a lot of politicians that go to jail. Uh, you're, we aren't perfect and we're not getting them all. We may not even in, in be investigating them all, but we have a lot that go to, to jail and to prison for long periods of time. You need to get to where you're sending some of them to jail. Uh, that'll be a major step forward. Uh, so, no, it's a big problem. And it's not just Ukraine. I mean, there was a conference, what, about eight years ago, there's probably been some sense in London about uh, public corruption around the world. That wasn't called for Ukraine. I mean, Ukraine was a small topic. Uh, corruption is everywhere, and um, we have to deal with it. It's part of the, the human existence, I guess. It, it is. And, and until and, and especially in a war zone, I mean, you know, you, you, you create a war zone, doesn't matter who's winning, who's winning. It's just it's it's the chaos. The devil's in the room. And then it comes down to financial survivability or just survival for, for your life. And people people do. You see the worst of humanity and the best of humanity in yeah. some of those situations. Yeah. Yeah. So what is it that people need? How do they find you? Uh. Well, our website, U.S. Ukraine, all you have to do is put that in Google and you get our webpage, which now at the top of the webpage has, you know, how to contribute and where to contribute and so forth. Uh, it's We've got a lot of material there because we've been doing it for so long. And, uh, you know, reports, constant reports by the Friends of Ukraine Network uh, and, and news releases and so forth. But the website is the best place and it's got the link to both donating to us and donating to uh, the humanitarian efforts specifically. And so let me ask let you me ask a quick question. 
Go ahead, Ted. Go well, ahead. Uh, I was going to say, uh, we have. I have some friends who have, are joining the Ukrainian army and need equipment like helmets, vests, fatigues. I mean, is there a vehicle to get that kind of stuff to those people? Or, you know, I hope you know, I say this correctly. I hope I say this correctly. Uh-huh. Um, I believe it's. Um, there, there is a there is a group here in Washington. It's based in Washington, uh, and Ukraine, Save Ukraine, United Ukraine. I can email that to you. Uh, they have raised okay. since since last Friday. They've raised four million dollars, mm-hmm. and one of mm-hmm. the one of the things they are getting are helmets and body armor. Mm-hmm. They're they're getting it to Poland. I don't know the details. Mm-hmm. I just know that's one of their objectives, and I'll I'll give you how you can get in touch with them um, because they're trying to, uh, one of the, one of their objectives is to try and uh, address those concerns. Good. So one of the things I always ask foundations because I investigate not only human trafficking, but the, but the foundations that claim to be anti-human trafficking, what are your, um, what are the the standards that you have based into your foundation so that you know that dirty money isn't coming in and that in fact when you distribute it it is not going to go down those global funds of you know five percent five percent and then it's a half a percent by the time it gets to the hospital because i believe that foundations should be transparent and get the money to where it should go well it's a good question and uh, i kind of i'm i'm chuckling because until until now, the amount of money we were getting wouldn't be a blip. I mean, we were a small foundation and other. And since the days when we had uh, the big, um, well, we drew, we got money from USAID, from European foundations, anybody that was giving to Ukraine in the 90s, we were getting money to run programs. And uh, my uh, answer to the question about how we handled all those programs was, uh, I've never seen this in any other inspector general report, but the State Department inspector general report after we had a 10-year program on uh, civil society, getting cities together on how to govern at the local level, it said it criticized USAID for under-reporting the U.S.-Ukraine Foundation's successes. Uh, we're pretty proud of that. Uh, but when those funds started dropping off and going just to the Beltway Bandits and so forth, uh, we've been pretty much a very small uh, operation. Our, our our contributions in the last 10 years, our biggest ones have been through the Friends of Ukraine Network. I mean, advising both Ukrainians and, and, and the United States government. Uh, in that time, we've had small things going on throughout Ukraine. We have a couple of, you know, legacy gifts that, from Ukraine Americans that want us. Uh, we've, there's a, um, there's a school uh, in Western Ukraine. There are things like that, uh, but the records are all wide open. And, and as it is, you can give, you know, what, for lack of a better term, you can give to the foundation and our general fund by which we run ourselves, or you can, if you give to these humanitarian that will all all of that will go to that project there's two separate accounts um 
and and actually within the the humanitarian account it's divided into it's going to be divided into a couple of different particular programs but uh no our our books are wide open and we're not, when it's coming in for for the aid to ukraine it's it's will all be used for that no no administrative over costs or whatever you want to call well good for you and good for nadia your wife who was uh, from ukraine uh and i'm sorry oh, no, she, she was she always says no i was born on the way you were uh, born on the way was, was walking out uh, in front of the red army at the end of the war and she was born in austria and lived there for five and a half years as a dp until they got permission to come here <laughs> Well, you're doing you're doing God's work, and, and you know, come back to us, Bob, when when you you know feel the need to to you know for more help and and tell us what what is being accomplished and what you're hearing on the ground. It's important for, for people to know what is happening because now I do want to say you know I mean you mentioned God's God's work. I hope, but you know what I, I commented on how we were unprepared to see what mm -hmm. what the people of Ukraine are doing. And I think as we see it, the most the people I talk to, I think it's, it's fair to say Americans are watching. They're emotionally uh, touched. Uh, they get goosebumps uh, on what the people of Ukraine are doing. And what they're seeing is, in many cases, getting them to drop to their knees to pray for them. Mm -hmm. And pray, prayers count. Absolutely. Absolutely, especially in a war zone, especially when, you know, when cl clearer heads and cooler heads need to prevail over something like this for the sake of humanity. Todd, I think I didn't answer completely. You asked a question, where does it go from here or something like that? And I, and I think I started and then got derailed myself about being out on the edge of things here. But I think it's time that the United States government, the European governments, I think it may start be starting to come into focus. They need to realize that Putin declared war on the United States, NATO, EU, all those international structures that have kept peace. That's what the battleground right now is Ukraine, but the war is against a lot more than Ukraine. We need to understand that war. And we need to engage it. I don't care how many times Biden, you know, said no boots on the ground. And I'm not anxious to put American boots on the ground. But there are things we can do that we're not doing. We're still resisting. It's a war. We need to fight it. And the objective is not to, it's not to, to stop the war. The objective is to defeat Putin. And if we don't, the war will just continue to go on incrementally over time, no matter what we do. We need to stop him. He's not going to be stopped until he stops. Let me ask you, because you just opened up something that I've been thinking about, Bob. What if it's the globalist versus Putin? What if it's not just Putin versus Western civilization? Well, there's an element of that. I have to believe that. But... But uh, it's also democracy versus authoritarianism uh, at its basic levels. Um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, when, when the Soviet Union came apart, 
before that, Western companies did not deal with the Soviet Union. They didn't want to be categorized as, you know, favoring communism. But when the Soviet Union came apart, the United States government and others, in a kind of extraordinary way, declared Russia a democracy. I mean, who... Who thought that stupidly, stupidly, because the and, truth of the matter was once the once the fall of communism started, it was a profound expansion of fraud, even as far away as South Africa. And, 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 and what was that declaration? It was a green light and every international company from the United <coughs> States and Europe went into Russia. The mm. result of that in many ways has been has, has put us where we are today. Early on, previous administrations, when Nord Stream 2 came up, you know, the government wanted to put some sanctions. I mean, they were trickling them out, but they wanted to put some sanctions on. Check the lobbying registrations. American corporations were filing their amended corporate. They, they were lobbying against sanctions. They had their commercial interests in Russia, and it was making it very difficult for good foreign policy to be implemented. That has been an extraordinary turn of events here in the last week. I mean, companies pulling out, companies, big companies pulling out, not wanting to be associated and so forth. I mean, um, we'll see. It's a sea change and and what it might do. And going back to the other point we talked about, one of the reasons We've had a, I mean, there's been a lot of Western investment in, in Ukraine, but nothing compared to what it could have been if the government was not corrupt. Uh, and if if Ukraine cleans up its house, the investments come in. And once you have the Western companies in, you know, the governments follow. I mean, that's what happened in, in Russia, and it shouldn't have happened. But if, if if international corporations and businesses have their roots in a country, you know, a lot of things change for that country. It can't financially, but it also it. raises the stakes on the, on the, the, the new definition of fraud. Yes. I mean, we have, obviously that is, I mean, that's an ongoing thing, but, you know, I'm, I'm motivated mostly by the people of Ukraine and getting their sovereignty and I, I have a great deal of trust that, that the people in Ukraine, if they, if they have the support, uh, they're not going to have a fraud-free government. We don't. Mm -hmm. But they can, they can improve it substantially. Uh, they've been voting for reform since independence. Uh, they just haven't been getting the leaders that they, they, they deserve. I, I think that the, the problem in... Uh, let me say that I, I hope for the best for the Ukrainian people because I think they're fantastic. But I think the issue we have is that we've lost all our moral authority in the West. Our institutions are corrupt. And so I don't see a way forward because I think most of the problems in Ukraine, except for this Putin you know, taking of territory, have been caused by Western corruption, using it as a playground to launder money and all this stuff. So I think until we can clean up our own house and we've got Castro Trudeau up there seizing bank accounts and running over old women with horses and, you know, in the U.S., Biden is on a tyrannical streak. Until we get rid of that, um, we, don't, we can't say anything about tyranny. So 
I think this is a much bigger issue than just Ukraine is, I guess, what I'm saying. I see Putin and this oligarchy in the West as kind of gangs of New York fighting each other for territory. And, and Ukraine is in the middle of that, unfortunately. Well, there, there's certainly some it's of that, my- but, I, but I do think uh, uh, the, the Ukrainian corruption, uh, deep-seated oligarchs, the big ones, that started with independence. We have people that came in and joined it, but they were well on their way by themselves. Well, it, oh, it's, I, that's, it's the uh, evil yeah, of greed. greed. It's the evil of greed. Oh yeah, when I mean, the money, when the when money flows, Yanukovych, everybody wants a seat at the table. When when Yanukovych was elected, I sort of thought, okay, this guy's got all the money he needs. Um, maybe he's going to feel okay. My legacy, I want to do what needs to be done for the country. Wrong greed is overpowering for some, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess you I like if I had something to be greedy about, but uh, anyway, not in that circle. Yeah. You didn't like those golden loaves of bread? <laughs> <laughs> Gentlemen, on that note, Bob, thank you very much. Sorry Nadia couldn't join us, but let, let's bring you guys back again and, and have Nadia um, in, as part of the interview going forward. That'd be good. That'd be good. All right. God bless right. and good luck to all the work you're doing. Thank you very much. Enjoyed it.